I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Archer. And I'm adventuring out in something I never dreamed I would do called a podcast. And mine is going to be called Unput. Downable. I shall be inviting some of my friends to join me to describe what they consider to be unput downable. And indeed, I will be replying to them with what I consider to fall into that category. In each episode, they have to select their favorite book, but they will then be allowed to select another moment of culture. It might be a painting. It could be a film. It could be a television series. We leave them to tell us what that might be. And surprise, surprise, I will be suggesting my favourite books and my piece of culture. But you will find out, as we do each podcast, what my guest has chosen and what I have chosen, and we have some pretty exciting people coming up. Barry Humphreys will be joining me, among the great intellects I've known in my lifetime. Lucy Foley, a wonderful writer. Ravi Shastri, well, that may surprise one or two of you. My love of cricket gets in. And Aisha Hazarika, and I have to stay very awake when she's around because she's as sharp as they come. And I can't wait to find out what will be her favourite book and what other part of culture she chooses. I'm beginning this mad new episode in my life with that distinguished and versatile writer, Antony Horowitz, a man who seems to be able to do everything. Foils war... Alex Ryder, throw in a novel, do a play. His brain seems to be able to turn in any direction according to what's exciting to him at that particular moment. So we'll start with Anthony, who, by the way, quite hard to interrupt, as you'll find out. Welcome to my first podcast. Anthony, I've chosen you because I consider you among the most versatile and capable authors 
in our country today. And I also know, which is equally important, you're very good at chattering. <laughs> well, especially when, when I'm talking to you, Jeffrey. I didn't realise, am I really your first guest? You are my first guest. Well, I was flattered to be invited, but now I am privileged and flattered and delighted to be your very first guest. Um, it can only get better from here. Now, as you know, I'm asking all of my guests to select one book that has made a big difference in their life or they think is important, and one other art section. It could be a painting. It could be a sculpture. It could be a theatre production. It could be a concert. It could be an opera. It could be a ballet. You get the choice, and I want to know what your favourites are, and then I'm going to talk to you about mine, and then we'll intermingle them. So off you go, Anthony. Tell me the book you want to talk about. Well, I'm going to cheat immediately because I'm, I'm actually choosing a whole series of books. I mean, if you like, I should say it is Flashman by George MacDonald Fraser, written in 1969. But that was the first book in a series of, I think, about 13 or 14 books starring um, a, an extraordinary character. Uh, for those few listeners of yours who have not heard about this character, Harry Flashman was the bully in Tom Hughes's seminal novel, Tom Brown's School Days. By coincidence, I was at the school rugby where that book takes place. And Flashman is uh, expelled at the end of Tom Brown's School Days for being a cad and a bully and for famously roasting poor Tom Brown in front of the fire. And no one is sad to see him go. And George MacDonald Fraser, who was working as a journalist back in the 60s, had the really quite brilliant idea of continuing Flashman's life and seeing what happened to him next. And what happens to him next is, is that by accident, really, he gets dragooned into the army and finds himself at the centre of pretty much every major event that takes place in sort of imperialist Victorian history. So from the sort of Indian rebellion to the charge of a light brigade, which he manages to do with extraordinary flatulence, riding on a horse and, and poisoning the air behind him. Um, and a little big horn where he meets General Custer, whom he doesn't like very much. He doesn't. He meets a great, great many people in history. Queen Victoria, Abraham Lincoln, Bismarck, Florence Nightingale. He doesn't like her either. And the joke of these books is this. Flashman remains a coward, a poltroon, a liar, politically incorrect in the sense that his attitude to, to women and to foreigners is Victorian imperialism at its worst. But the main thing about him is that he is terrified for every moment of these books and somehow comes through unscathed time after time after time. These are gloriously funny, historically accurate, very telling recounts of our history. And I can't think of a series of books that have, throughout my life have given me greater pleasure, which is why I've chosen them today. Well, I always enjoyed Flashman as well. And, and uh, I have a slight connection with rugby because my first son, William, went to rugby. So he has that in common with you. And of course, we remember Tom Brown's school days. It was, you called it seminal. It's one of the great novels that describes the public school at that period. And of course, Flashman is of that period. But what you've pointed out, Anthony, is that it doesn't really matter. Flashman still exists at every level. And they all often come out on top. And I agree with you. Anyone who hasn't read George MacDonald Fraser should be taking Anthony's advice and finding out more about Flashman, because he is he's one of those great characters in literature who you hate and love, but more important, have to turn the page. 
Well, that is exactly it. They are wonderful romps, real adventures with fantastic action sequences. And George McDonald Fraser is a very dab hand at describing major battles and, uh, and, and big, the sweep of history, which he then can contrast with the little tiny details that he gets right to. And while one of the jokes of the books is that they're all annotated. So at the back, someone, the, sort of the person who's discovered the Flashman uh, documents, is um, annotating them and saying, well, Flashman isn't right here. You know, Abraham Lincoln couldn't have been at that meeting because he was in Washington at the time. So there's a sort of a sense of real history and next door to Flashman number two are really close cousins. And I have to say, if you are interested in that period and interested in British imperialism, good or bad, however you want to see it, the books are extraordinarily informative. Yeah, it's quite fun sometimes, isn't it, when people take uh, a character who never existed and plant him into history, but at the same time politely teach you a little about Lincoln. Or whoever it, I always enjoy that because it allows you, it allows the writer, and I've seen you do it with your own work. It allows the writer to let the reader know something they might not have realised. I mean, you did that brilliantly with your Sherlock Holmes book. I mean, I really felt I was reading Conan Doyle. And that, to me, was important because I felt, actually, as I've said to you in the past, you useless individual, that, frankly, you should have said, I've discovered 20 Conan Doyle books under my floorboards and I'm now going to let you have them for the next 20 years Uh, because that, for me, you talk with such warmth and affection about a Flashman your Sherlock Holmes book, I consider to be a masterpiece. We are very kind, Jeffrey. And what is great about writing that book was that it was based on real history. The story of the House of Silk is actually a true story that I found when I was doing my researches. Uh, in fact, I'd known about it all my life. I'm not going to say what it is, so it gives away the ending. But uh, I'd always known about this story that took place in London and involved the royal family and all the aristocracy and everything. And I was when I wrote that book, I was thinking to myself, why has nobody ever read this book? Why has the House of Silk never been published until now. Watson says in the first chapter that he's finally telling the story. And of course, the reason is that it's a terrible scandal. And funnily enough, there's a connection here with Flashman because Flashman also, his books are sort of kept under wraps because he is telling the truth in all its sordid details about his life and all the sort of beds he's been in and all the, the mix-ups he's had and all the sort of crimes he's committed uh, and can't really tell anybody until after his death. He's of a post-mortem publication. But as to your other comments, Cindy, I've always thought that variety is the spice of life. And if I was sitting here now facing you having done, shall we say, 30 Sherlock Holmeses, but no Alex Ryder and no James Bond and no all the other things I do, I think I would be a less interesting guest for you and certainly a less happy person for me. Well, I'm delighted to hear that pathetic reply because my own <laughs> my own view is, my own view is you're 100% wrong. I think, dare I say it on this air because someone may hear it, if you'd done 10 books they'd have all gone to number one right around the world. May I remind you, Anthony, because I'm sure you know the figures, that book received amazing critical acclaim, not just from people like me, but right across the board. I remember reading in The Telegraph, the drama critic, not bothering to write about drama that day, simply talking about your Sherlock Holmes books. I wasn't alone in this opinion, Anthony. And, and what is the name of this podcast again? The Rudest Podcast in Town? Is that the name of it? I just hope you... I hope you're right this with um, uh, my good friend Barry Humphreys, because I think you may find him... I, I don't know what he will do in, or in what persona. And God help me. <laughs> I think he'll be a lot less uh, accepting of it than me, uh, sitting, uh, taking it on the chip. 
as I always do with you, Jeffrey. I'm going to talk to you about, I suspect you read it because I don't say this uh, in any way cleverly. You're one of the best read people I, I've ever met. I've been a lover of short stories since I was a child. Uh, they're, they're not so popular nowadays, Anthony. They're not in fashion any anymore. I mean, when I was a child, Somerset Maugham, H. H. Monroe, Maupassant, O. Henry, uh, Scott Fitzgerald were common diet when we were being brought up. And I'm going to talk about the man I think dominates even that amazing group, H. H. Monroe, known as Saki. And I had to choose between all his short stories, which was almost impossible, and I chose Shredni Vashta. And I commend H. H. Munro Saki to anyone who's listening to us for the first time. It will be a revelation for you. Shredni Vashta in itself is a piece of genius about a child who has to live with an, a domineering aunt and what happens, how he single-handed, although only a young child, defeats the dominating aunt. You can't fail to love it. It's not only beautifully written. It's like so many of his stories, a marvellous piece of storytelling. And I don't know how you feel, Anthony. I've written 92 short stories in my lifetime, six books of short stories. They don't sell as well as the novels, but I just enjoy the process. And often I find, as I'm sure you do, someone tells me a story, and frankly, it's worth 10 pages. It might be worth 15. You couldn't expand it into a novel, or if you did, it wouldn't work. That's absolutely true. It's funny, isn't it? When an idea falls into your head and my head, I think both of us know automatically what it is. Is it a play? Is it a television series? Is it a novel? Or is it just a short story? And I think I often say that in a funny way for me, a novel is a bit like that row of dominoes you see on a television programme where somebody flips over a domino and it knocks the next one over and the next one over. A short story is four dominoes or three dominoes. A novel is 30 or 40 dominoes and you can see the pattern forming. And so you know that it's just a little thing. And I think what is so great about the story you've chosen is that it is, it's almost one domino. I mean, it, it is a piece of absolute perfection, very macabre. It seems to me that it inspired, may have inspired Roald Dahl. Mrs. Durop, the guardian cousin figure of the little boy in that story, is very much a Dahlish figure. And he, of course, was something of a master of the short story. Oh, novel. brilliant. Like in the same class. No, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm going to move on to you picking whatever you like, and then I'll pick whatever I like. But we're going to start with you, Anthony, of the many things you could have chosen. And heaven knows you're a man who lives in Greece, who lives in England, who travels a great deal, will have seen the great sculptures, the great galleries, read the great books, seen the great theatres and film. What is the thing you have chosen? Well, that build-up suggested I've become something of a philistine in my choice. But in a way, I think I have chosen a masterpiece. I write television, Geoffrey. I'm still writing television. I'm very interested in television and the influence it has on us and the way television is changing with the arrival of Netflix and Amazon and all the big platforms. So I have chosen a TV series, a box set, if you like. And that was one of your choices you offered me. And I've gone for Breaking Bad, which is a masterpiece of television. It ran for five seasons. It finished a few years ago now. It's actually was receding into the past. And one of the things that interests me about that show is that television is very, very temporal. It's ephemeral. It comes, it goes. People tend to remember very, very few big TV shows. I mean, The Sopranos is one that springs to mind. The Wire is another. Breaking Bad is certainly another of them. And what I love about this show is that it breaks almost every single rule in television. The main character is an anti-hero. He is a chemistry teacher. He is a failure in life. He has no money. He has a sort of a so-so happy marriage. He has a handicapped son. Uh, he, is, he is in many, many ways um, struggling. And to add to that, he finds he has a year to live. He has lung cancer. And he responds to this by becoming a dealer, a manufacturer in, uh, in crystal meth. And the setup is simply that, that he breaks bad and becomes a bigger and bigger criminal as the show goes on. Brilliantly played instantly by Brian Cranston. Uh, and this show should not exist. In England, if you pitched a show with that as its premise, you would not get a hearing because it is it is such an anti-television show. It's not feel good, it's feel bad television. Uh, and yet it is gloriously shot. The story is fantastically compelling. The characters are fascinating. The development season after season makes sense. Unlike Lost, it has a perfect ending. So you don't feel you've wasted six years of your life watching it, if that's what you've done. And I've just watched it for a second time. And it just, I hold it up as an example of how profoundly good television can be. Well, I'm fascinated because uh, I gave it up after one series. I became bored, which is interesting in itself, whereas I think I've watched every episode of Foyle's War, which you wrote so brilliantly, part, partly because I was born in 1940. So that particular period of uh, history of Britain, which you captured so brilliantly, with, I might say, again, a truly outstanding actor playing the lead. So when this was presented to me as your choice, I confess 
I was a little surprised. So I'm now going to present my choice and see how you react. I quite recently came across, well, I'm talking about two or three years ago because I've now seen every series like you've seen Breaking Bad, the lot, and I'm sitting here waiting for the film and will happily walk away from this podcast to watch it immediately. I absolutely think Call My Agent, which is in French and you watch with subtitles unless, like you, you're so well-educated you can see it in its original language, I think Call My Agent is a masterpiece. And I say to people watching this, if you haven't watched it, do what I advised my editor at HarperCollins. Know you've got a a weekend for it. Don't slot it in in an evening when you've got an hour. It's so captivating. It's so demanding. It's the story of an agency in France that take care of actors. The four main characters are those agents, and you see the people they deal with. And it's been so successful that when you get to the third series, all the leading French actors in France are desperate to get on to play cameos. Now, I absolutely loved it and recommend it to anybody. And don't worry about the fact that it has subtitles. It's so witty. I have to say translations. I don't know how you find about this with your work, Anthony. Translations sometimes annoy me because I know just enough French to think of a better word than they've used. But in this one, I thought the translation was absolutely brilliant and had me laughing while I read it. I hope you felt the same way. First of all, I think that the subtitles and the French language help the show. Um, you can, I think, put it on in dubbed. You can have a dubbed version. Don't do it. Watch it in French. Watch it with the subtitles. It is such a wonderfully French show. Now, when I first watched it, I saw three episodes and I didn't enjoy it. I gave up on it. Unlike you, however, I have a touch more resilience and stamina and I'm willing to give things a second chance. So I went back to it and I did think it was outstanding and brilliant. I loved it. I loved the characters. I will say, I thought the fourth season, there were only four seasons, I thought the fourth season was disappointing. The, the show parted company with its creator, I don't quite know why, but there were some kind of difficulties in the relationships. And I think that once she had left the show, it declined a little bit. They shouldn't have killed the dog. That's one thing I would say, forgive the spoiler there, but it's not a very big one. But I do agree, it's an absolutely brilliant show. It's a wonderful character piece. All the characters, particularly my favourite was Noemi, the assistant who becomes bigger and bigger as the show goes on. And it's utterly lovable. I mean, I fell completely in love with her. And I'll add this, Jeffrey, you know that they, you may not know this, but they are planning to make an English version of it. They've been shooting it over the summer, uh, an English Call My Agent. And if there is one show I am not looking forward to, and I wish them all the best, and I hope it is absolutely wonderful and all the rest of it, I can't bear the idea of it being in English and having English actors doing cameo appearances like they used to do in extras and everything. Just stick, as you said, put a weekend aside, watch Call My Agent, it's a fabulous show. I agree with you totally, Anthony, because when I saw Le Dinner du Camp, I, I was overwhelmed. And indeed, at the end of the film... I unashamedly cried and applauded. That happens if I'm lucky once every three years. I literally cried and applauded. And then it was announced there'd be an American version to pick up your point. It was rubbish. And I can't imagine why they bothered. So I pick up your point that to have an English version of Call My Agent probably won't work. And like you, I will avoid it. 
Well, I wish them all the best with it, but it is true, isn't it? I mean, the Scandi dramas, you remember the Scandi noir detective dramas about the bridge and the, the other ones were it? They were translated into American television shows and they just lost something in the mix, something goes. And what has gone is the strangely innate nationalistic character of these shows. I cannot yes. imagine Call yes. My Agent without the language, without the Paris streets, without the little cups of coffee all the time. Yes. You know, that whole world, it's, sort of, it's part of the parcel and, it, and you remove it at your peril. And aren't they different to us? So what you bring up, of course, is they are different to us and that genius comes out in the series. You can't miss the fact that the French and the English are not alike. I would say that what makes that the show so wonderful is that all the characters in it, the French people, are so damaged and so difficult and so they're mm-hmm. not great people. I mean, they're agents, and you, you and I know, Jeffrey, that, that you know that what agents are like, and they are flawed human beings. And yeah. the actors too who turn up, you know, the, the people, the clients who are all flawed with terrible problems this year. Then I loved it for that reason that there was nobody in that show who was hundred percent good, apart from a dog. Uh, there's no. <laughs> Uh, you're quite right. There's no hero or heroine you're dying to see next week, but the standard of the acting is so high. But I want to say before we run out of time that if you go back to Breaking Bad, which is admittedly very slow, and also I think it has the greatest villain ever created in drama, Gus, who turns up in season four and then season five, or season three, season four, sorry, is outstanding as a creation. And you might like to know that the show was very nearly cancelled of two seasons in America, nobody was enjoying it. You, people have the same view as you. Then something clicked, and it became this huge hit. So it's an interesting story about how television can survive. And you know, shows like Foil's War, you mentioned very kindly, was cancelled. Thank goodness that the audience got so stroppy about it, but they brought us back again. But it is interesting that in modern television, just surviving is so much harder than it ever was. Well, I am going to go back to it because I've now reached a time where I'm desperate to see good stuff. It's so rare. I'm desperate to see good material. Don't do it on my on the strength of what I've said, because I just am passionate about the show. It's perfectly reasonable to say that it may not be your cup of tea, and I can yeah. understand why. It is what I said, a very dark, negative show without any re- characters you can really like. I mean, that's the thing about it. It is a very dark universe. It's interesting you say that, Anthony, because I keep reading brilliant reviews about Sopranos the film. Every review has given it four or five stars. The idea of violence, bad language, I hate. But I am going to watch it because the reviews have been... I mean, the Sunday Times came out saying, not the film of the year, the film of the decade. So I've got to watch it, even though I don't like that genre. Well, I... Here is a confession for you. I never loved The Sopranos. I tried and tried, and I've just... It's a bit like War and Peace, a book I've always wanted to read, but I've never quite got through. And I I keep every 10 years, I go back to it and say, this time I'll do it. It's the same with The Sopranos. I don't know why not. It just never hooked me. And the funny thing about modern television is, is that it asks for... 80 or 100 hours of your life. I mean, it's not a sort of a small, yeah, you yeah. said, you know, put yeah. aside a weekend for Call My Agent. But that's actually quite a lot of TV viewing. You're not going to have been doing much else on that weekend. I, I'd say put, it, put aside a week and watch, you know, two episodes a day or something that would, would be enough for me. But, but The Sopranos was a lot of episodes and I just couldn't find myself investing enough of my life in it to keep watching it. And I know it's my feeling, because, of course, it's what they say. It's one of the greatest shows ever made for television, but there you are. Now, Anthony, 
What are you doing at the moment? I want you to bring me up to date. Well, um, A Line to Kill, which is the third Hawthorne novel, came out um, about a month ago, and I'm still sort of doing appearances and podcasts and things on the back of that. Um, I have just finished my third James Bond novel, um, and so I will be doing some editing on that. Uh, I'm about to start work on a um, 10-part series called Nine Bodies in a Mexican Morgue, which is a sort of a murder mystery show, which I've devised, which I'm writing for Sony uh, Productions. And uh, Magpie Murders, which is a novel I wrote some years ago, has just been filmed. And I'm sort of working on the ADR and final bits and pieces for that. So clearly you're, as ever, doing six things at once. I'm doing four or five things. (laughs) Well, I want a sixth. I want another Sherlock Holmes book. Well, curiously, I've been working with a company called Storytel, um, who are a huge audio company in Sweden and Denmark and especially, you know, that part of the world. But they sell millions of stories. And I have created three Sherlock Holmes stories for them. This is, a, this is a very, very different take on Sherlock Holmes. It's not traditionalist. It's not pure. It's everything, actually, which in some respects I don't like. But, but there was an opportunity to, do, to see Sherlock Holmes in a new light, a little bit like the BBC did with Benedict Cumberbatch, but to do it in a way that is true to the books, but which is based on, inspired by, rather than the purest, which is what you and I like, reimagination of. Not even reimagination, retelling of. Fascinating. And may I thank you, Anthony, for being my first guest and, and what fun it's been, as it always is when we do battle, because you know uh, my admiration for your work. And may I wish your latest book every success on the bestsellers list and whatever you're doing in the future. Because when I said six things and you said, no, Jeffrey, I'm only doing five because you're such an accurate man, I had in my mind Alex Ryder. Has he disappeared? He's back on television. The second season will be starting, I think, a month or so. And we are working on the third season. So actually, Jeffrey, you were correct. That is number six on my list. I'm only an executive producer. I'm not writing it, thank heavens. But um, but I am very involved on a day-to-day basis talking to Guy who is the writer, uh, and we, work, we, we Zoom and we talk to each other pretty much every week. Well, we wish you every luck and hope you will continue producing your outstanding work again and again. Thank you for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure as ever talking to you, Jeffrey. Thank you. So once again, thank you, Anthony Horowitz, whose recent book, A Line to Kill, is available in all bookshops now. And also thank you to you for listening to this first episode of Unput Downable. The ridiculous people who write notes for me have put, I hope you found this suitably gripping. I didn't write that, but I hope you found this suitably gripping. And there'll be future episodes, because I'm doing six of these to begin with, and we'll have some amazing guests, just like Anthony, who will give you their views on their favourite book or their favourite moment in culture. So please subscribe now to the podcast Unput Downable with me, Geoffrey Archer. Also, my publishers have added a final sentence, which I am told I have to deliver. Over My Dead Body, which is my latest book, is now out in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. They're so vulgar, aren't they? Still, until the next time, goodbye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.